Well, I mentioned uh, when we began this morning that, of course, we this is the beginning of a school year. Tina was mentioning that some are not so excited about going at such a tender age. That's understandable. I can't see that myself as going when I was four or five. Can you, Pat? <laughs> Pat, Pat thinks that I was a baby. I was babied by my mother. And you know what? She's right. She's right. She has that right. Do you see any evidence of it today, Pat? <laughs> but I wanted to share something about the changes, just briefly about the changes. Now, again, don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. Amen. That's what he's given us. So don't yield to fear on anything. No. But having said that, there needs to be uh, some very uh, prayerful thought given to what is the proper approach to educating children, your children, but just ch uh, children, as we go forward, seeing some of the changes that are occurring within the educational system. So we see these changes, and we know where these changes are going unless they are stopped. And if they continue to go in the direction they're going now, we have a good idea of where it's going. You watch a car go down the road and you see its movement, you can tell where it's going to be in a little while, unless it's stopped. Now, could it be stopped? Yes. Yes, it could be stopped. But it may not be stopped. And if it's not stopped, well, every school is different. Every school district is different. Every group of teachers is different. And so we, have, we know all that. There are some excellent teachers, wonderful teachers. There are some wonderful teachers, I think, who are kind of, in some places, are under the power of an influence greater than their own. That's a difficult place to be. We're getting to a period of time, as we move ahead here, where if there are children who are uh, questioning their sexuality, and you say, well, does that happen? Yeah, sure it does. It happens more often than some of us would like to think. Some, with some children, there are stages they go through where they begin to question these things and then they move through that stage and there's no question anymore. There's all kinds of different uh, situations, unique situations. But if a child is vulnerable in any way within the system that is emerging, my thought is that's the last place that child should be. That child, particularly that child, should not be in that system because that child will be exploited. The danger and the risk of that child being exploited is great. Now, if you can see all these things coming down the road, then why wait until they manifest and then the parents have absolutely no voice? That's a nightmare. That's a nightmare. So why am I saying this? I just feel like the Lord, the Lord will give us insight into all things. What applies in one situation doesn't necessarily apply to all situations. I think there are certain children that, I mean, <laughs> you, you, there's not going to be any question in terms of whether this is a boy or whether this is a girl. or There's just not going to be any question. They're not going to be vulnerable. Now, you, But if you look, you can pretty much have a, you can sometimes, you can kind of, okay, with 
wisdom given to you, you can see this child under these, under these circumstances that are uh, emerging in our society. This child will be likely victimized. This child may be vulnerable. So these are the kinds of choices and decisions parents are going to have to face going forward. And then you think in terms of alternatives. What are the alternatives? Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because of, there's an abundance of concern on these matters that is being shared by people in the Western world on all levels. And some people are right in the midst of having their children actually taken away from their custody. And you heard about the law that's being passed now, or at least suggested in California. I mean, these, these things are just so flagrant. They should be stopped. But if they are uh, permitted to continue, and it may be permitted to continue. You ever, you've heard the statement, uh, the people tend to get the kind of government that they deserve. You've all, we've all heard that. We get the kind of government that we deserve. Well, if the will of the people were to rise up strong with good Judeo-Christian values and ethics and biblical morality, then no organization would try to impose these things. It just wouldn't happen. People are becoming too weak and, and wishy-washy and compromising in their faith and compromising on the rules that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us to live by. Don't compromise on his rules. These are the kinds of things that we're going to be looking at going forward. But let's not look at them in some kind of dour, like a fearful way. No, don't look at them that way. Look at them in the way that the Lord will lead and he will guard and he will keep. And not every child in the educational system is going to be vulnerable. Not every child is going to be vulnerable in the same way that some others might be. Then the other thing is, you be the one who's teaching and instructing your children. Hey, I'll give you an example. I was in uh, grade uh, nine at Sioux Collegiate. And I was this little redheaded kid, young redheaded kid, not so little, from St. Joseph Island, had no idea. I could tell you stories of how awkward this kid was. <laughs> and uh, I would try to hide behind so the teacher wouldn't ask me questions because I didn't know the answers, didn't want to be centered out. I was a year younger than everybody else in the class. How did that happen? So anyway, this girl in front of me had this big hair, and I would try to hide behind the big hair. One day, uh, social studies, we had a teacher who was a, a, young, a young woman, probably just out of university, maybe a year or two, and she was teaching social studies. And she was talking about ethics and things like this. And she was talking about, uh, you know, basically as the humanist manifesto that she was believing and spouting. I didn't know what a humanist manifesto was. But she was saying the truth was determined by you. You determined what was truth, truthful and what wasn't. It's what you thought was true. Well, the shy kid from St. Joe Island, who had been raised in, a, you know, with the influence of the Word of God, and who had had a profound experience at the age of 11, now he's 13, he started to speak up. He started to speak up in the class. He heard his own voice and wondered who was talking. <laughs> so I started to talk to her, and I, and I launched into uh, what I thought was a reasonable 
argument against what she was saying and how that I thought that what she said made no sense, was unreasonable. Well, since you went from the from hiding behind the girl with the big hair to speaking up and opposing the teacher's point of view. It was something that moved in me. Moved in me. I thought, this is outrageous. This is ridiculous. And so that's what happens with your child when you raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, even though they may not be walking in the perfect place they they should be, but you will have instilled in them a foundation and that foundation will stand strong no matter what happens in the school system. Do that with your children. Don't let the school system, don't say, well, the school system is going to do this, going to do that. No, 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 no. You be the one that really shapes and instills the values and the truth into their young hearts and minds. You'd be amazed at how they'll be fortified against all that stuff. I was. So all the other kids in the class, I still see it to this day, they just could not believe it. They started to applaud. They started to applaud. Not to just talk about myself, but that's an example of what happens when you instill these truth, this truth in your children. So do that. Do you have family uh, devotions? I'm not asking for it. You know, outlaw. Do you have a family altar? As it's called a family altar. Do you gather your children around, and do you read some scripture to them? And uh, do you talk about it with them? Do you engage them and answer their questions? Do you sing a song if you if you can sing? Uh, in our family, my brother John was pretty good at singing, and so he would lead the singing. In our family, my dad always wanted us to sing, but he couldn't sing. <laughs> he loved to sing, but he had to be singing, uh, what's backup? Or, you know, <laughs> something like myself. But have the f- a family altar in your home. I have a sense that that's not happening very much. And it should happen. It must happen. You know, we talk about the great evangelists of the past. I mean, if I go back into the uh, 19th century, 18th century, 19th century, some of the great, in my mind, some of the greatest Bible expositors that have ever lived, lived during that 200-year period of time. I mean, I don't want to say that's the only time, but it was very, very powerful. And you know what else? That was the period of time when the great hymns of the church were being written. That was the period of time when the great organs were placed in the churches. Um, that was a period of time when family altar was almost mandatory in every Christian home. Susanna Wesley, I forget now how many children she had, she found time for every child during the day, each one on an intimate one-on-one basis. Marvelous one, marvelous, marvelous. She found the time, she made the time to make that happen. She invested in their lives. No wonder that Charles, one of her sons, became the great hymn writer, and John, of course, the great Bible expositor and preacher. Just share a few thoughts that come to mind as we close. Brent, would you close with a word of prayer for us?